welcome to Odd Drummer Gaming, the podcast about stuff. My name is Edmund. In this episode, I will be talking about Double Dragon. Um, it's uh, when I started this podcast. Um, I started with Super Mario Brothers the movie because I wanted to talk about movies about video games, and I did a few. And then I kind of opened it up to like comic book movies and the such. But it's time to get back to the roots of the podcast, which is movies based on video games. I believe the the second movie based on a video game after Super Mario Brothers is indeed Double Dragon. So we'll get to it. Is Double Dragon a good movie? Spoiler alert, no, no, it's not good, but we'll get to it. Um, Let me take a look at my notes here. I want to talk about a bird for a few minutes. Yesterday, uh, my wife was taking a nap in the afternoon uh, in bed, and... um, I was laying next to her. I was playing on my Switch. And all of a sudden, we hear a large thud on the window. And like a bird screech. And we were both like, what the fuck was that? And so I look out the window. And I I thought I saw like a movement of a tiny bird scurrying behind some stuff in the backyard. So I was like, what the heck? So I went out there, and this bird, it was it was standing, it was standing, sitting, whatever birds do, but it wasn't moving. It wasn't laying down, it wasn't keeled over, and its mouth was agape. Its mouth was open. And um, I didn't know what to do, I didn't know what was... Well, obviously, it had just slammed into our window. So I, I like I googled it, and I'm like, "Bird not moving," and immediately there's a website that says hundreds and millions of birds uh, are subject to window strikes every year, usually fatal. And what happens is their their brains swell after they slam into a window. And I guess they're in shock. So this bird, I'm assuming, was in shock. Because I could tell it was still alive, but it wasn't moving. And if you go within 10 feet of a bird and it doesn't fly away, something is wrong. So I, I keep looking at the the website. And it's like, here's what you can do, what you should do. You can put it in a box or under a colander. Which is... I think it's what you use to put salad in to wash salad. Don't quote me on that. Um, to protect it from predators like cats. Uh, I didn't want to touch it. it. The website said to handle it as little as possible. Don't force feed it food or water. So I went out there three or four times within the course of the hour. Just to, I was curious. I was curious. 
eventually I put, because it was exposed to the sun, so eventually I put like a, there was a garbage can out there, I moved it so it would provide shade for the bird, who I will heretofore refer to as Birdie. So the garbage can was providing shade for Birdie, and then I couldn't, I could no longer see it from the window. So I went out there, and then eventually I put like a a basket. I tried to form like a an unofficial barricade around it, kind of, just in case a cat came by. And there was still space for a cat to get to it, but I don't know. Eventually I had to give up and get some sleep because I had to go to sleep early the next morn. So the next morn... I go out there at I looked at the time cuz I I have I would go to work very early. I looked at the time. It was 1:46 a.m. pitch dark, pitch black. But I was using the light on my phone and it was no longer there. It was gone. And a I was relieved that the bird hadn't keeled over and died in our backyard. But B, I will never, ever know what happened to it. And that's gonna, well, I'll probably forget about this for, you know, in a week or so. But I was gonna say that's gonna destroy me for the rest of my life. But realistically, I'll probably have forgotten all about this in a week. But I don't know if a cat got to it. Uh, I don't know, an alligator got to it. A, a hawk got to it, a snake, or my best case scenario, I, I hope and wish its brains, um, the brain swelling went down and it gained its bearings and it flew away back to its family. I hope that's what happened. But who knows? I will never know. And that sucks, but I hope you're okay, birdie. I hope you're okay. And on to the gaming beat. Um, the gaming beat. I'm I'm still playing Breath of the Wild. I'm I'm up and down on it. I like it. Obviously, it's a very solid, very good game. It's a great game, and I love it. But like like I've mentioned many times before, you just get to that point where. It's the same thing over and over again. Shrine after shrine, Korok seed after Korok seed, exploring, exploring, and it's fun, but I don't know. It's You just get to that point towards the end where it's just, it gets very repetitive. I will say I've only done... At this point, in this playthrough, I've only played, um, I went to one of the Divine Beasts, finally, and it's very satisfying. I went to the Rito Divine Beast, so I have Rivali's Gale, and that's fun, that's very helpful, and it, it was... <laughs> Surprisingly, I didn't need to get a guide. So I don't know if I'm getting smarter or maybe that was the easiest divine beast, but 
it was very satisfying so that's fun and i'm looking forward to fighting the rest of the divine beasts and i was putting off going through the three mazes because they were very annoying i remember and the first one i went to was the desert one and i was getting frustrated i tried to tackle it in the few minutes before walking into work and there's this huge feeling of like okay i have to save my game and stop because obviously i'm not going to solve this puzzle in the next minute and then you have to go to work and then it's just this feeling of emptiness like oh i didn't get to do it now i have to go to work and go to this brainless job but i was able to that was the hardest one for me the desert one and then i went straight into the one in the akala right hand north northeastern corner and surprisingly i was able to do that one real quick i don't know why i couldn't explain how i did it i couldn't re if i had to do it again i would probably take hours or days and then i went straight into the last one that one took a little longer but i got it relatively quickly so and i did it without guides so i'm surprised but so those are out of the way i'm still putting out i'm still putting off the dark shrine where it's completely dark that one's a, a difficult shrine and also eventide island my friend germsboro he said eventide island was his last shrine for this playthrough i might do the same i might do the same um and on to the news beat have you seen this tifa statue i did i had never heard of the jack o pose prior to this statue um i don't i don't know if it's from an anime or a game but i've never heard the term jack o pose but it's tifa in quote unquote the jack o pose and she's like grinding up on the buster sword it's very provocative erotically provocative it's going for 700 bucks if i had the money i would get it uh my joke on the youtube channel was i i'm interested in this but only to read the articles and get it because it's it's like it's a playboy but the joke doesn't make sense because it's a it's it's a figure it's a statue it's not a it's not something you can read but hopefully a lot of you are uh, smarter to get the joke all right and on to the movie beat um i have a few movies here I have one, I won't talk about it too much, but I watched the first episode of Candy. The episode is called Friday the 13th. Uh, I watched it on Hulu, it came out this year, 2022. It, it stars um, 
Jessica Biel as Candy Montgomery based on a true story. I I read that they're coming out with another biopic based on Candy Montgomery and this story starring um, a homely, an equally homely, ugly woman to Jessica Biel, Elizabeth Olsen. I don't necessarily have a problem with them casting two of the hottest women to play Candy Montgomery. I don't. Let me quickly look up Candy Montgomery. Let's see what. Let's see what she looks like. <laughs> um, why do they do this? Why do they do this? Uh, Candy Montgomery. Okay, okay we'll, we'll move past. Oh, God. We'll move past it. Candy Montgomery looks. She looks like a normal woman, all right? She just looks like a normal woman. So. <laughs> I don't know why you would cast. Two of the hottest women that ever lived to be Candy Montgomery. Um, I will say, I think Melanie Linsky is, she's kind of hot too, but she looks more like uh, Betty than Jessica Biel does. Uh, anyway, they did their best to make Jessica Biel look quote unquote homely, or I don't know, maybe even ugly. She's still hot as fuck. Um, you know, I don't know what you would call this hairstyle, but it's like short and curly and she's got the glasses. There's a scene in the first episode where she's completely nude running to the laundry machine. A spoiler alert if you haven't seen the first episode of Candy on Hulu. And to me, it's like I lost the whole story. I lost everyone's characters' names. I don't know what's going on. There's Jessica Biel nude. Um, you kind of see her from the back. Um, you know, they sh- have a short cut of her buttocks, I guess. You, you don't really see her front. Um, you see his little side boob, but she's still, she's still hot. Super hot. But I, I do like the shows. I only, we only saw the first episode. It's... I, I like it. It's good. Um, I look forward to seeing the rest. Jessica Biel's attractive lady. Next up on the movie beat is The Big Doll House. It came out in 1971. I watched it on Shout Factory TV. I heard of this movie from Pat Walsh's solo movie corner. By the way, you should check if you if you're not a current subscriber to their Patreon. I highly recommend We'll See You in Hell's Patreon um, podcast. And the the collection of free episodes are still out there. Um but I highly recommend it. I believe it's patreon.com slash W S Y I H pod. 
let me just make sure that's right. I don't want to give out wrong information. All right, WSY. Patreon.com slash WSYIH pod. It's one of my favorite things in the world. It's it's the only thing I look forward to in my entire life. So the big dollhouse. Hold on, let me look this up too. Big doll. I hope you enjoy me the sound of me typing. Big Tall House, 1971. It's a women in prison film. The only one I recognized in the film was Pam Greer. Uh, the The movie opens with it's like set in the Philippines, and I'm immediately I was like, oh, oh, great. Why are they involving my home country in this movie? What do they have up their sleeves? Um, it's a women in prison movie, and um, I don't know. The movie was not great, but it wasn't bad. It was kind of fun. I'll tell you one thing. One thing that this made this movie made me think of. You know, there's a there's a handful of movies out there. Um, movies were like it it could be easily thought of as like sexist or misogynistic whatever just from the title just from the poster i'm assuming like slum slumber party massacre slumber party massacre this is just an example but you see the f- the poster. There's four girls in the poster. Um, they're uh, they look half nude or like in underwear. And there's a guy, uh, assuming a guy, and they're all looking up to. Uh, he, there's obviously sexual connotations in the poster alone. My my point, and I'm not. I've never seen Slumber Party Massacre, so I can't speak specifically to that movie. But my point is, there are a handful of movies like that where you think, "Oh, this movie is sexist. It's um, it's like violence towards women." Blah blah blah. But then you see that it was directed by a woman. Or written by a woman, or produced by by a woman. So then you start to think, well, it can't be sexist, it can't be misogynistic because it was written by a woman, or it was directed by a woman, or it was produced by a woman. And that's that's it's easy to think that way because you you think well, women starred in the movie so obviously they agree with the message so it's not it can't be misogynistic and that may be the case that may be the case but at the same time over time i re- i started to realize that no these these women didn't necessarily want to be associated with this movie they didn't want to necessarily work on that movie the opportunities for women were just so small that they took 
what little opportunities were presented to them, which sucks and it's sad, but, um, and that doesn't even necessarily apply to this movie because it's directed by a man, Jack Hill, written by Don Spencer, produced by Jane Schaefer. So I, I'm assuming that's a woman, Jane Schaefer. But what made me think of this was because there's a scene in the movie where this fruit vendor comes by and Pam Greer is like something like, you got a letter for me? And then he's like, you know what I want. If you want this letter, you got to give it to me. And then Pam Greer is like, all right. So she puts her back to the prison bars and this fruit vendor gropes her and he's like feeling her up and there's there's no way to fake this like there isn't there's no movie magic to this he's he's groping her he's feeling her he's like feeling up her breasts breast assists and i don't know i don't this is what i don't want um i don't want to think on behalf of other people i don't want to think on behalf of pam greer i don't want to be offended by on behalf of pam greer for all i know she enjoyed she loves this movie and she enjoyed making this movie i don't know i have no idea i just can't help but feel like I wonder if there are, I'm sure there are roles out there where women do just because they, they get so small, so little opportunity to be in movies. So they, they, they just join, join, join. And they're like, oh, there's a scene where you get groped. And then you're like, well, it's in the script. There's nothing I can do. So I'd, I'd be interested to know if she loves this scene if she loves this movie, or if she was um, grossed out by it. I don't know. I have no idea. I'm just trying to speak honestly about my thoughts when watching the movie. Other than that, it's like six of the most beautiful women I've ever seen. Let me... um. Let me help you get as depressed as I am by telling you this. Um, I'm looking at the cast list. Pam Greer as Greer. So that's, uh, you know, real creative uh, character naming. Uh, she's probably doing the best out of everyone involved in this movie. I'm assuming she's currently 72. She's still working, and that's great. Judy Brown as Collier, her name isn't even clickable on the Wikipedia page, so who knows what happened to her. I could Google her, but I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to Google her. Roberta Collins as Alcott. <laughs> Roberta Collins, I believe she, um, she's the one... She looks like 
Alice Eve. And Alice Eve is obviously a very attractive woman. So this girl, this lady, looks like Alice Eve. She died in 2008. This is on her Wikipedia page. This is, who knows who wrote this, but Roberta Collins was a film and television actress who was known for her attractive physique, blonde curly hair, and Marilyn Monroe appearance. That's on our Wikipedia page, a.k.a. she was an actress known for being hot. Which is an interesting description, but it, it's it's interesting that Wikipedia just... Someone just wrote that. She's known for being hot. Jack Hill, who directed her in The Big Dollhouse, said of her, I think she could have had a great career but she couldn't get her personal life together. She would be fantastic one day, do everything right, and then she would be out until 4 a.m. partying, and the next day she would be useless. That's That sucks. Um, she died in 2008 from a reportedly accidental overdose of a cocktail of drugs and alcohol. Her son predeceased her. Her son predeceased her. That's a fun word. Um, Brooke Mills as Herod, uh, her name is not clickable either. And she was like a, a drug addict in a movie. She was actually very good. She was playing a convincing heroin addict or something like that she was kind of nutty in the movie pat woodell as bodine she's dead also um woodell died on in 2015 she was 71 and had lived with cancer for more than 20 years so this is a real fun um Wikipedia page. Christiane Schmidtmer as Miss Dietrich. She died in 2003. Um, her health started to fail. She died in her sleep from natural causes following an accident. Uh, Catherine Loder as Lucian. She's not clickable. Oh, boy. Sid Haig. He was one of the fruit vendors. He died in 2019. So it's like... I don't know. So every name on this list is either unclickable, so they weren't big enough to get their own Wikipedia page, or they're dead, or they're Pam Greer. Pam Greer, again, is doing great, but the rest are either dead or unclickable. That's very sad. The next movie I watched was Looking for Mr. Goodbar. I watched, uh, I heard, of, I never heard of this movie prior to Pat Walsh mentioning it on his solo movie corner. This movie came out in 1977. I'm very bad with money, so he mentioned it. He mentioned Diane Keaton gets nude in the movie. 
I couldn't find it streaming anywhere, so I purchased it impulsively on eBay for eleven ninety nine. Um, I got it in the mail. I popped it into my PS five, and the quality was terrible. There was a squiggly line at the bottom, which make me, makes me think this was a direct transfer from a VHS. And then at first I thought, was I scammed? But then I thought, I don't think I was scammed. I think this is just possibly the best quality that this movie has. I, I was reading the Wikipedia of it and... Um, this movie has never had an official DVD or Blu-ray release. So it was, I guess it was only released on VHS. came out in 1977. I actually watched it on YouTube. It's free on YouTube. And the quality is slightly better on YouTube because there's no squiggly line at the bottom. But the quality is comparable to the DVD. Also, the the DVD cover sleeve and the disc, it all looks like it was made on a on Atari, which is not great. But looking for Mr. Goodbar, I liked it a lot. Um, Diane Keaton, man, I think I'm in love with Diane Keaton. I don't know what's going on with me, but... Um, if you've listened to some of the other episodes, I've, I've, I have an, a weird fascination with older women. They're all currently in their 70s. But it started with Ann Archer. And I fell in love with her in um, Fatal Attraction. And then Mia Farrow from Rosemary's Baby. And then I watched Midsummer Midnight Midsummer Night Sex Comedy and there was a young Mary Steenburgen, Julie Haggerty, and Mia Farrow. And now looking for Mr. Goodbar Diane Keaton. Um I, I will say a young LeVar Burton shows up into in this movie. And as soon as uh, as he entered the frame, as soon as he entered the frame, I recognize him. And in my mind's ear, in my mind's ear, I heard, Butterflies in the sky, I can fly twice as high. Take a look, it's in a book, a reading rainbow. So naturally, I stopped the movie at this point. I paused it. I went to YouTube and I looked up the Reading Rainbow theme song. And the first suggestion that it that came up was Reading Rainbow theme song DMX. Intrigued was I when I saw this. So I tapped it. Tapped on the last. I think I mumbled that. Tapped on that ass. 
Um, so if you tap on Reading Rainbow theme song DMX, the instrumentals start, and then immediately you hear DMX go, this shit just got real, y'all. <laughs> and then he continue, he proceeds to say the N-word a few times. And then when he said, suck my dick, it was very funny. It made me laugh. Anyway, looking for Mr. Goodbar, um, a very young LeVar Burton shows up. He plays a, a minor role. He doesn't say much. But Diane Keaton plays... I forget her name, but she, her character, she, she's, it's based on a true story. And every, everywhere I read, it said this lady lived double life, which, which I'm kind of confused by. So in the movie, she's a teacher of deaf children. I get that. Yeah, sure. Regular, normal life. But then at night, she would go to singles bars and have um, one-night stands with random men. And I don't understand where the normal life ends and a double life begins. What if she was just a teacher who liked to fuck? You know what I mean? Why does she need? To, why does she have to be described as having a double life? It's kind of weird. She's not like a vigilante when she goes out at night. She was a teacher in the day, a nice, sweet, seemingly sweet teacher during the day, and then at night she would go out and fuck. I, why is that double? Li- I don't know why that's. That means she has a double life. I guess just because the sweet deaf teacher side of her is so you wouldn't think she would be going out to singles bars at night i guess doing the drugs and drinking and all that i guess i guess it just felt like a little bit of a stretch to me all right um i believe this lady named tuesday weld who i'd never heard of she plays diane keaton's sister she plays a small role. Her first scene, she's like crying to Diane Keaton. She's like her her life is like a mess. She's like, I don't know what to do, and she's like crying. That scene's very good, and I believe she was nominated for an award for that role for supporting actress. But I think the award nom or even award win should have went to Diane Keaton because she was very good in this role. I don't know if she learned sign language for this role maybe i I, every time i i know i mean i like that it's included in movies and tv shows like in coda emilia jones learned sign language she studied it for i don't know like nine months or something and then they're using actually deaf actors in coda and that one deaf actress in hawkeye it's cool but I, I have no idea. I can't tell if Diane Keaton's signing in this is accurate or not. I have no way of telling. But she it, it looks the part. So it looks correct. And she's very sweet. And she teaches a group of young deaf children. One of the deaf children is a young black girl. And she's the young younger sister of LeVar Burton's character. Richard Gere is in this movie as well. 
Richard Gere, to me, I would just describe him as playing Danny Zuko in this movie. Picture Richard Gere as Danny Zuko. That's his character in this movie, except he's kind of a a meaner, less politically correct Danny Zuko because I believe he says the gay slurs and the N-word, and he's kind of a it's kind of a dick in this movie. But I don't think I've ever seen Richard Gere in anything. I usually think of him as a very stoic, serious, um, dramatic actor, even though I can't think of anything I've ever seen him in. But in this movie, it's 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 very different from my image of him because he's like, well, I can't do an impression. It's a New York, kind of a New York accent, like, Hey, baby, want to do... I can't do it. I See, I started it, and it was terrible, so I, I retract my attempted impression. There's a bizarre scene where he's in his underwear doing, like, karate moves slash dancing. Anyway, looking for Mr. Goodbar, it's, it's really good. I hope it gets at least a DVD release, just because the quality on YouTube is pretty bad. Um, you you can barely tell like what kind of facial facial expression they're trying to emote in the, each scene. It's just it's not great. But I will say it's based on a true story. I I won't spoil the ending. I'll try not to, but I'll, I'll just say the ending is very intense and. I'm going to try not to spoil it, but I'm going to talk about it. The whole movie is kind of a light drama. It's not a comedy, but it's kind of a light drama. It shows what she does. She, It shows her life during the day. It shows what she does at night, and it's kind of a light drama. And then at the end, it's a very intense, disturbing scene. And it... Even if you know the true story, it's it's not really expected. They don't really foreshadow it at all. And it came out of nowhere, and it was very intense. I, I like the movie. I don't know why it's called Mr. Goodbar. I think 99.99% of people would immediately think about the candy bar, myself included, If I had to guess, I would say it means looking for a good guy at the bar. That's what I think it means. I don't know what Mr. Good Bar means other than the candy bar. I don't know if there's another usage for it. Moving on. I watched The Quick and the Dead, directed by Sam Raimi. I liked it. Um, I thought it was fun, but I'm going to lean on the things I didn't like about the movie because I'm still riding the high of having watched Doctor Strange 2, and I really like Doctor Strange 2, and I want to go back and watch everything Sam Raimi. But I feel this movie came out in 1995. I watched it on Netflix. The premise of the movie is 
Sharon Stone is hot. Um, Sharon Stone plays a kind of stoic uh, character with a mysterious past. She's kind of a badass in the movie, and she's very good in the movie. Um, Gene Hackman, he's kind of the... He, he's like Lex Luthor without the comedy, and he's more sinister. So he's like the de facto leader of this town. His character's name is Herod. Also, I read that the title of this movie, which is an awesome title, it's taken from a Bible verse. And also the name of the town is taken from the, the Bible, which the name of the town is Redemption, which is a little on the nose. It's, it wasn't written by Sam Raimi, but Gene Hackman plays this like de facto leader of the town, and there, his introduction is like, he gets 50 cents for every dollar earned in this town, so he kind of controls everything and everyone. Russell Crowe plays like a preacher, but he also used to be a thug who hung out with Herod, and now he himself is also looking for a redemption. Um, Keith David plays a small role. He is kind of a hired gun. I had never heard the term shootist prior to this movie, but apparently that's a word, shootist. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio, a young Leonardo DiCaprio is in this movie. I was thinking that Timothy Chalamet reminds me of a young... Leonardo DiCaprio before he went through puberty. That's that's a good description of him. And I I was confused because at the beginning of this movie it said Lance Hendrickson was in the movie and Tobin Bell. And I guess I didn't know how either of them looked. Tobin Bell, I recognize the name from the Saw movies. But I was just confused because when when this character named Ace comes into the frame, I figured that was Tobin Bell. And by the end of the movie, I was like, well, if that, that was Tobin Bell, who was Lance Hendrickson? But it ended up being Lance Hendrickson played Ace. And Tobin Bell played the guy in the beginning of the movie. He's like dig- he's like a nutty character who's digging through the dirt looking for I don't know gold or something, and he and then sh- this mysterious character is riding up to him and he's like you ain't gonna steal my gold, and he shoots the character, but it ends up being Sharon Stone and she like swindles him and handcuffs him and that was Tobin Bell. Anyway, I was confused. So the premise of the movie is. Sharon Stone comes to this town. She's mysterious. She's hot. And the town is having this game or contest of sorts where two people go up against each other and they have a quick draw shootout. So when the strike, the clock strikes, when it like ding or whatever, You have to pull out your gun and shoot. 
And at first, it's you have to bring your opponent down to the ground or like out until they give up. And then eventually, Gene Hackman is like, you got to shoot him till they're dead. That's part of the rules now. And he like changes the rules because he's the leader. And so everyone also, I forgot to mention Mark Boone Jr. was in this movie, which blew my mind because I didn't recognize him at all. And he plays a character named Scars and he's not recognizable in the movie because he's all made up. He's bald. Um, Junior. He doesn't say much. He he just he just got out of prison when he enters the frame. And dead. So that's kind of the premise of the movie. And so they they slowly go up against each other. And you know the characters whittle down and whittle down and whittle down. At one point, um, Gene Hackman goes against Leonardo DiCaprio, who's supposedly, allegedly, father-son, but it was never confirmed. Leo is very good in the movie. He's he's this very cocky, confident kid. He's like, I'm the, I got the fastest hands in town. Um, he's very good. His scene, so spoiler alert if you haven't seen The Quick and the Dead. But Gene Hackman ends up shooting Leonardo DiCaprio and Leo falls to the ground. And he's a young kid, you know. Um, I would guess, I don't know, 16, 17 maybe. And he he he's dying from a gunshot wound. He's got tears in his eyes and his girlfriend or wife is trying to console him and Sharon Stone's trying to console him and Leo's like, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. It's very intense, very sad. Um, and Leo's always great. Um, you could tell he had a bright future in acting. Well, I don't know how far into the career this was. I guess I'm assuming Gilbert Grape was prior to this and he had been in other things, but he's good in this. Um, I really like Sharon Stone in this. Um, Gene Hackman is great in it. He's There's one scene where he realizes that Keith David was hired by the town to kill him so that the town would kind of um, get their freedom from Gene Hackman. And Gene Hackman was like... And like right before their shootout begins, there's they show this woman who's like grasps at her rosary, like please let this plan work, but it doesn't because Gene Hackman kills Keith David, and Gene Hackman starts yelling at the townspeople like, "You you you always complain about not having enough money, yet you used what little money you have to hire this gun to shoot me. Well, your plan didn't work, and now." To send you the message even further, I guess I'm going to have to charge you more. So, And it was a very great scene, intense. The movie was fun. I guess it's the feeling, the same feeling I had with Malignant. It's like I'm not a big horror 
movie guy. I don't watch a lot of horror, but at the same time, when I watched Malignant, it felt very tropey, like build up, build up, build up, jump scare, jump scare here, jump scare here. It felt very tropey or like, let's watch the videotape where it shows the footage and it explains. And then there's a, there's a lady looking through a file cabinet to find out the truth. It, it just felt very tropey even without having watched a bunch of horror. That's what I felt about The Quick and the Dead, where I don't watch a lot of westerns either, but, I mean, his... When they do the first shootout, they close up on everyone's eyes to the point where it almost felt like a parody. And when reading about the reviews, I I guess some people think it... It was supposed to be that way. It was also almost supposed to be cartoonish, like Sam Raimi intended it to be like that. And it was partly parody, partly satire. I'm not sure. Like, it's supposed to be an homage to Westerns, but also slightly... Or he's just kind of trying to have fun with it. But, I mean, every time they closed up on someone's eyes... But they kind of did that in Doc Strange too. They... They would close up on people's eyes or when they closed up on Professor X's face with his arm extended, almost like he was doing a Hail Hitler, stuff like that. And in Quick and the Dead, they close up on everyone's eyes. They close up on the boots walking into the bar with the spurs on the back. Um, you got the mysterious characters slowly walking through the wooden double doors, stuff like that. It felt, I guess cliche is the right word, but it felt very tropey to me. Uh, I I prefer the word tropey. <laughs> that being said, I thought the movie was fun. I have a feeling that if I watched it again, I might like it a, a lot more. But I'm not sure, and I'm not necessarily in a rush to watch it again. Um, but I, and also, I, I feel like I, I don't have a good handle on Sam Raimi's style because I watched Doc Strange too, and the 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 easy thing to say is, well. Um, there's horror elements in it, so that's where Sam Raimi's style comes in. And I now I feel like that's too much of a reduction of Sam Raimi. It's like because there was no horror in The Quick and the Dead. I read that some people said it was more violent than other westerns, and that's where he came in. But there wasn't a lot of gore. There wasn't a lot of any horror in it at all. So I don't I don't know. I don't I feel like I don't have a good grasp on Sam Raimi's style and it's too much of a reduction to say Sam Raimi is horror. And this is such I mean so what I've seen of Sam Raimi is Evil Dead 1 and 2. The Spider-Man trilogy which I prefer and I like those movies a lot more probably because I I like Spider-Man a lot more than horror and Doc Strange 2, and now The Quick and the Dead. And the, and that's what I see popping up in the reviews all the time, is The Quick and the Dead is so outside his wheelhouse, and 
at the time it got mixed reviews, but now that some time has passed, people are discovering it and seeing that it's very underrated. So I, I just I have a feeling I'll watch it again and maybe like it. It it does feel like a small movie. Like Sharon Stone gets to the town and immediately they start this game, this contest, and that's the whole movie. And it also the the story is like it feels like a typical Western story of redemption. Where they show Fla- Gary Sinise it only appears in flashbacks. He has a small role. And spoiler alert for Quick and the Dead again. But Gene Hackman is like tying him up by a rope. And he's about to be hanged. And he, Gene Hackman is shooting the legs off of the chair that he's standing on. So once he gets through the whole chair... It's going to collapse and Gary Sin- Lieutenant Dan is going to get hung. And then Gene Hackman says to Sharon Stone, here, I'll give you this gun. If you can shoot the rope down in um, three bullets, I think, I'll let him go free. I'll give you my word. And then Lieutenant Dan is like, you can do it. You can do it. Whatever happens, I love you. I love you. You can do it. So she she she's a little girl so obviously she she hasn't practiced with guns she isn't trained with guns she <laughs> she brings the gun up towards lieutenant the rope i guess but her aim <laughs> her aim is so bad she ends up shooting him right in the head <laughs> Um, and then Gene Hackman says, like, close enough, and then rides off. It's, it's very sad. It's very ridiculous. And, uh, how did she get it right in his forehead? I mean, maybe secretly she hated her father, and she'd been practicing with guns for years, and she'd be like, this is my chance to get revenge on my father. Um... She just got him right in the forehead, like square in the forehead. Like her aim's actually pretty good. Um, a very sad flashback, but it apparently it's making me laugh. So I don't know. Quick in the dead. Um, check it out if you haven't, and um, let me know your thoughts. Text me. Let's get to the main event. So, like I said, the roots of this podcast is movies based on video games. Double Dragon came out in 1994. I watched it on Prime Video. I actually watched it on my phone, which I I don't think is a bad way to watch a movie. The, The quality is fine. And sometimes when I watch on my TV, I get distracted and then I look on my phone. But when I watch on my phone, I don't have that option. So I'm I'm actually able to focus more in on the movie. It's unfortunate, but that's just the way our uh, attention spans are these days. Double Dragon is based on a video game series. I don't know much about it. I played a little of it 
um, when I was a kid, but I don't remember there being any sort of story in it. Maybe in the little text scrolls beginning at the beginning of the game, but I don't remember any of it. And I just remember you played a guy or maybe two guys and you just beat up thugs. That's all I remember about the game. In this movie, um, directed by James Yukic, I don't know who that is, um, written screenplay by Michael Davis, Peter Gould. I don't know who those guys are. The name that um, surprised me was the story is by Paul Dini, who, to my knowledge, was a is a very renowned writer of this the Batman animated series. And I remember listening to a few episodes of his on, um, f- I don't know the name of it, Fat Man on Batman, Fat Man Beyond, whatever, uh, Kevin Smith's old, one of his uh, early episodes of that podcast was talking to Paul Dini and Paul Dini was, he would talk so passionately about certain episodes of what he wrote on Batman and he would start to tear up on the podcast and I'm like this dude is is the real deal like he's man you can feel his passion so I was a little surprised that he he has the story credit on Double Dragon um I don't I don't think it's a great movie. I don't think the story was particularly good. Um, the movie stars Scott Wolf from Party of Five fame. And for the rest of this review, I will refer to Scott Wolf as Party of Five. It also stars. Mark DeCascos. DeCascos. Who you might know as um, the chairman on Iron Chef America. He was also in John Wick 3. He was like... He was one of the villains, I guess, in John Wick 3. For the rest of this episode, I'm going to refer to him as Iron Chef. Now, quick pause. Scott Wolf. Oh, I already messed up. I apologize. Rewind. Party of Five. A White Man. And Iron Chef. A seemingly non-white man play brothers they play billy and jimmy lee respectively so this isn't this isn't a big deal to me but i just i think it's more funny i'm not offended or anything i just think it's more funny than anything but i was looking up um iron chef he was born in hawaii 
which is obviously it's in the U.S. His father is from Hawaii. And so Iron Chef's father, Iron Chef's father's parents originated from the Philippines and were of Chinese, Filipino, and Spanish ancestry. Iron Chef's mother is of Irish and Japanese ancestry. So it's like... I, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I, I'm, I'm nervous now. My point is, like, I don't know if I can call him Asian. And I don't even know if this line of thinking is appropriate by anyone's standards. My point is, he, he looks brown. Party of Five looks white. white and they play brothers. Um, that, that's, we can move on. Alyssa Milano is in this movie, and I don't want this podcast to be, you know, crass. You know, on, on We'll See You in Hell, Pat and Joe, they always talk about, like, women's appearances and how, you know. But I, I don't want to do that, okay? I want to be better than them. So I refuse to talk about how how unbelievably attractive Alyssa Milano is in this movie. I'm not going to talk about how hot she is, how ridiculously good-looking she is in the in the short shorts she's wearing in this movie. I'm not going to do it. Like, I, I refuse. I'm not going to be crass. I'm not going to be disgusting. I mean, I'm not even... I'm just not going to mention how good she looked in this movie. Anyway, um, I'm going to refer to her as Who's the Boss?, they actually point out how hot she is in this movie a few times because Iron Chef kind of leans his head and looks, uh, ogles her ass multiple times in this movie. But, you know, it was a different time. I'm not saying it was right. I'm not saying it was um, acceptable. I'm just saying that was a recognizable gag in this movie. I had no problem with it. Um, but again, I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna mention how hot she looked in this movie. Robert Patrick, I had no idea was in this movie. T one thousand himself. He, um, T one thousand. He kind of plays like a cartoonish. He's kind of a cartoonish villain, which, you know, that was that was hip during this time, I guess. I was surprised to see who he was in this movie. And there are some effects in this movie where it looks similar to T-1000, which was uh, surprising. Um, I want to look up... um, This one lady... um, Okay. I'll just mention this now be- before I forget. Because at one point, this lady in the... She plays... So Robert Patrick plays Koga Shuko. He's the main villain in the movie. And one of his henchmen is named Lash. Christina Wagner, who I, I don't know who she is. And <laughs> at one point in the movie, uh, Who's the Boss 
is fighting Lash. And then Lash kind of gets Who's the Boss cornered. And then she goes, Who's the Boss now? It was kind of a wink to the audience. Like, oh, okay, we all know that Who's the Boss is in Who's the Boss. And then the next scene, Who's the Boss goes to Lash and goes, Generally, I put people in hospitals. And I was like, that's a weird line. So I looked up Alyssa Milano's filmography. My dogs are barking. I looked up Alyssa Milano's filmography to see if she was in General Hospital, but she wasn't. But then I looked up Christina Wagner, and the first line of her Wikipedia is, an American actress best known for her role as Felicia Jones on General Hospital. So, so there you have it. So they're not exactly breaking the fourth wall, but kind of weird. Like, oh, let's reference um, TV shows in the real world inside of this movie. And I, I was surprised to see a bunch of people that I recognized in the movie. Um... Uh, I, I I recognize the name George Hamilton. I don't really know who he is. But George Hamilton and Vanna White play anchor people on a news station. And there was a scene that made me laugh. There's a, there's a few laugh out loud moments in the movie, like uh, maybe two or three. And one scene that made me laugh was um, Vanna White says, um, Madonna is planning to break up with her husband, Tom Arnold, and move to Paris. And she has stated she just simply wants to be alone. And then George Hamilton, very deadpan, goes, that's terrible, isn't it? And then he moves on to the next movie, uh, news story. That made me laugh. Andy Dick plays a weatherman, a small role, but, um... I was happy to see him because I like he's very funny on news radio but I've heard he's not a, he, he's he can he's not a great man in real life but I I don't know I I don't I don't know him personally it's just hearsay So the mo- let me get to a synopsis of the movie Well the mo- the movie opens and it, the the subtitle says well not subtitle the title card or whatever you call it it says somewhere in china and that made me laugh like they can't even put a city to it or they could have said northeastern china south china whatever it just says somewhere in china so there was this i guess the legend is that there was a king who sacrificed himself to save his people so he turned himself into a medallion a a very powerful medallion he split it in two one is the power of the body one one is the power of the soul and i guess this was passed down um to this lady who's looking over the medallion and she's looking over these two brothers billy lee and jimmy lee played by iron chef and party of five and the story takes off from there and T-1000 plays the main villain, and he's like this super rich villain who wants to gain, um, he wants to 
get both halves of the dragon medallion so that he can like own new angelus um so he can you know gain power and be all powerful blah 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 and that's that's kind of it um i feel like the story isn't great the movie's not great it's kind of fun and campy but it's not a good movie um i feel like party of five was the better actor of the two just because he he well his character was more fun because he was more goofy more funny more impulsive and iron chef was a little more serious a little more by the book um so i feel like party of five had a little more fun with his character um who's the boss i don't i don't think she was great in this um but again the the script wasn't great either so i'm i guess they did what they could um i want to read some things off the wikipedia the first time director wanted he says our characters are like normal kids, three kids on an adventure, so we didn't want to make something that kids would almost be too afraid to see. I'd like to make it in a funnier, light-hearted vein. And you feel that. Um, actor T1000 said, That was a movie I did that on paper I thought could really work. It didn't really work that well. There's some funny aspects to the character and it was a fairly liberating experience to be funny and try to be menacing at the same time. I am proud of my performance. It's a pretty extreme performance. Yeah, and I got to work with Scott Wolf, Mark DeCascos, and Alyssa Milano. I, I imagine him doing that interview. And, and he's like, yeah, and I got to work with, and then he he talks he talks to his assistant. And he's like, "What are their names again?" Right. I got to work with Scott Wolf. What was the second guy's name? Mark De Casacasos, and last one, Alyssa Milano. Uh, I really loved working with the three of them. That's how I pictured that um, interview going. The boat chase sequence. Um, climaxes with an explosion which used 700 gallons of gasoline combined with 200 gallons of alcohol. Though warnings were broadcast on several news channels the previous night, the explosion caused residents of nearby city to panic, leading to 210 phone calls to emergency services over 10 minutes. Reviews by critics were unfavorable, clumsily paced, amateurly acted by kids so upbeat they might have escaped from a road tour of Annie. Um, Time listed it in 2009. Time listed the movie on their list of top 10 worst video game movies. Let, let me take a quick look at this list. I hate I hate those articles where you have to scroll through like next 
Um, okay, I'm looking at the list, but I don't. They're not numbered, so I'm just gonna say the list. House of the Dead, haven't seen it. Wing of Wing Commander, haven't seen it. In the Name of the King, haven't seen it. Hitman, haven't seen it. Doom, haven't seen it. Blood Rain, haven't seen it. Resident Evil Apocalypse, haven't seen it. Double Dragon, I have seen it. Street Fighter, I have seen it. Super Mario Brothers, I have seen it. Um, so, what else do I have to say about Double Dragon? I, I like the setting of the movie. You know, I kind of like dystopian settings. It's just fun. So this is like an alternate version of Los Angeles. So, for example, it's they call it New Angeles. And it's a dystopian future. So, like, gangs rule the city at night. And it's it, it's gotten so bad. Maybe there's a deeper commentary here with, like, Los Angeles or society in general. But it's gotten so bad where the gangs and the police have agreed to a truce and um eventually the truce becomes broken and the gangs begin to attack the police in broad daylight and i just like the setting of a dystopian new los angeles and it's set in two, 2007 i think which is <laughs> It's interesting because the movie came out in 1994. And it says the film takes place in an earthquake crippled Los Angeles in 2007. 2007 was 13 years after this movie was released. They could have at least done like 2020 or something. But... um, Hollywood is completely submerged to the point where they have a Hollywood River tour. They show the Hollywood sign and it's only like a few feet above the water. And that's that's just kind of cool to me because it's set in a well-known city of Los Angeles, but everything's dystopian. At one point, these two guys in suits go up to this it's like it's like a phone booth but it's an oxygen booth and one guy is getting oxygen from it and the other guy is like will you hurry it up blah 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 so stuff like that it's it's kind of fun Um, not enough to make it a good movie but just fun touches to that Um, i liked when party of five said um, my my life just flashed before my eyes. Dude, I sleep a lot. Like, dumb, but kind of funny shtick in the movie. So to sum this up, not a great movie, fun setting, dystopian, possibly Asian Iron Chef is brothers to a white man, party of five. And I am not going to comment on how hot Alyssa Milano is in this movie. And I may or may not watch Embrace the Vampire after watching this movie. So that's Double Dragon. Kind of fun, not good. Worth watching? Um, 
sure, why not? It's 136 minutes. It's not that long. It, it kept my attention. I wasn't bored. It just, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't good. Um, I, there, there's a car in this, in this movie. It, it, it kind of looks like the, the Ghostbuster car. And in order to go faster, Party of Five keeps throwing it, I guess, paper or trash in this little bucket. And it makes the car go faster. I don't know if that factors into the game at all. I'm going to assume no. Why, why would you make a movie about Double Dragon? Out of all the games, why Double Dragon? I don't even know if Double Dragon's that huge of a franchise. Um, I understand making a movie on Super Mario Brothers and Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat. Um, but someone thought it was a good idea. Um, but like, for example, Rampage came out, you know, a few years ago. I'm going to guess 2016. And... That that franchise isn't huge, but I really like that movie. So, you know, sometimes it pays off. Um, uh, who, who thought like let's ma- let's make a a movie based on Rampage, the nineteen nineties arcade cabinet game about monsters fighting each other. Um, that's probably one of my favorite video game adaptations just um i i like i like the rock in it he's good and that's a fun movie i think i did rampage on this podcast i can't even remember all right so i'm looking at a list of films based on video games um it all started with Super Mario Brothers. Then Double Dragon. Next is Street Fighter. Um, so that that could be interesting. Last Christmas. I'm not going to sing the song. I'm just not. Not unless you're here with me. Um, I got. I bought two... For whatever reason, they released this movie on... They re- released a new steelbook version of this movie, Street Fighter. And I bought two copies. I gave one to my brother. I guarantee you he hasn't even opened it. Um, I have my copy. So I, I'm, I'm excited to check that out. Um, Street Fighter. If it's not the next episode it's coming soon there's also mortal Kombat, mortal Kombat annihilation wing commander i don't i've never even heard of that game um the franchise originated in 1990 with the release of video game wing commander i there's not even any screenshots i don't even know what kind of game is it they should they should make a movie based on StarCraft. They never will. Because A, StarCraft is 
seemingly bankrupt. I mean, they. I don't hear about Star StarCraft anymore. I still love the game very much. B, Blizzard is apparently filled with um, a bunch of creepazoids. And C, Warcraft was so universally hated, even though I actually really like Warcraft. Did I do that on this podcast? I think I did. Um, but they should do a StarCraft one because they could find a badass to play James Rayner. By the way, the, the guy who voiced James Rayner is so good. Um, Robert Clotworthy, he kind of just looks like a dad or, or like a doctor. Um, he just looks like a thin, older, sophisticated man. And he was so good as James Rayner. He was so badass, man. Good voice performances are so underappreciated. Fucking Chris Pratt. What a bitch. Um, they could find... Um, a, I'm not going to say hot, I'm not going to say hot, but they could find a, you know, a, a lady who I'm not going to say is hot to play Sarah Kerrigan. Um, and then they would probably do CGI up the ass for a Protoss leader. It would be awesome. It really would be awesome, but it'll, it'll never happen. What's Blizzard up to? They, they real. I think Blizzard released um, a f a phone game real based on World of Warcraft. Uh, I'm not interested in that. Oh, shit. I just got off the phone with my nephew, my 18 year old nephew, my only brother's firstborn son he's currently in the navy and he calls every now and then and we chatted for a little bit i'm going to talk about the call and i'm gonna get off i'm i just passed the one minute one hour 22 minute mark i gotta i gotta cut this episode soon but he he was talk he was talking about a his, I don't know if it's his friend or it's someone in the Navy with him, saw Doc Strange 2 and he didn't like it because he said it was too political. And I was like, too political? What does that mean? And then my nephew was like, um, because, because there was too much LGBTQ in it. And I thought about it and I was like, because America Chavez had two mothers in it. <laughs> and I was like, look, I've never met that uh, my nephew's barracks mate or whatever you call it. I've never met him and I, I don't know him personally. So I can't presume anything about him, but 
sometimes it feels like he he didn't like the movie because it was too political because a major character in the movie had two moms it it feels like they want these types of people to not exist it, it's kind of frustrating it's angering but um it's just weird how that's that's the takeaway they took from it, that it's too political. Even though the, the whole movie was amazing, but it's too political because lesbians exist. It's kind of weird. My nephew said he was in the middle of watching Don't Look Up. He said it's pretty good. It's more of a drama. It's supposed to be a comedy, but it's mostly a drama. I didn't have the heart to tell him that Don't Look Up sucks. He also said he watched The Bubble and he said it was pretty good. I just, we have, we only have a few minutes together and I don't want to, I don't want to use up the few minutes we have to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? The Bubble sucks ass. Um, The Bubble, uh, actually I didn't finish The Bubble. I might finish it one day, but what I've seen it it hurts it hurts my heart to watch the bubble it really does it's terrible um i think that's it i hope my nephew's doing well he seems to be doing fine um be- a lot better than i am that's for sure so that's that's going to do it for this episode i hope you are doing well um you know everything kind of just sucks uh, I'm I I overeat constantly. Um I'm always tired. I don't think I'm addicted to energy drinks, but I drink a lot of it. When I go to work, I drink two of the uh, I don't know if uh, I forget how many ounces they are, maybe 16 ounce monsters. One before each shift. I work two shifts each day, but I only work 3 days a week because that's as much as my mental health and physical physical health can allow, I hope you are well. Um, if you are working, I hope you are content with your job situation. If not, I suggest you take the necessary small steps to move in the direction where you will be happy with your financial situation and out of life. Um, embrace your dreams, embrace your friends, Um, don't abandon your friends. The few friends that I've made online have abandoned me to the fucking wolves. The few friends I have in real life, I I hate. Um, I won't say anything about my wife, because we're stuck together. Until, you know, the inevitable annulment, annulment, or divorce occurs. I was thinking, um, you know what, never mind. Thanks for listening, stay odd, and keep on playing.